Welcome to How Do You Engineer, your artistically done engineering podcast. I'm a host, Peter Merton. I'm a host, Abby Desjardins. And I'm a host, Simon Whitmel. And today we have a guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Nicholas Stedman. Call me Nick. All right. And uh, Nick's here to talk, about, talk to us about uh, the intersection of engineering and art, a little mm-hmm. bit of extension from our uh, hackathon episode. And uh, this is going to be the uh, the second time we'll get to talk to somebody who has come to engineering from the outside. Last time was Gord with kinesiology, and now we're coming in from the artistic side, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are the bridge or the nexus. <laughs> yes, for which this is where this is where they will all come to us to tell us their stories. <laughs> hopefully, so uh, let's start with our uh, our traditional making yeah. up things we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So uh, Abby and I have been talking. And uh, we were thinking that we wanted to try as much as we could to get back to the style of brain engineering, as we call it internally. No one else knows we call it that. <laughs> um, um, sort of brainstorming style parts, beginnings of our episode where, uh, as opposed to where we've gone recently, which is let's build a robot to do stuff. Um, we wanted to think about how things are made and try to theorize on how that happens. So we yeah. started our first episode with ice cream and had mm-hmm. some fun thinking about how ice cream is made. So we wanted to kind of get back towards that sort of that sort of idea of like how would you make something if you were tasked with making it with no theoretically no knowledge of how it's done professionally. Can it still be ridiculous? Like does it do we oh, have, no, do we have yeah, to end up sure. with the same thing? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, put windows in cows, man. What, yeah. Whatever you want to do. All right, good. <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that. Okay. So we can fistulate things left and right. I don't know if it'll help today, though. We're doing, what, light bulbs? Yep. <laughs> I feel like All fistulating right. a light bulb probably would make it less functional. Okay, so how would we make a light bulb if yes. light bulbs didn't exist? Yeah. Well, is, is it like a light source or like specifically like what you know is a light bulb? I don't know. The idea is basically like if you were hired by a company that like, we want to make the next light bulb or a light bulb, maybe one that's better than existing light bulbs. Retro chic mm. fire. The new light bulb. <laughs> How about that? I think you, I think you totally sell it. Like go back to like gas lamps or something. Can you just smoke this fire? Because um, the problem with fire is that it's fire. <laughs> it's, that is true. That is generally that is the, the problem, problem with fire. fire. <laughs> it is fire. Um, well, I mean, like you mean like smokeless? Like you need to make sure it's like perfect combustion. Well, I mean, like they have like they had fireplaces at the ice ca- the ice castle at the ice hotel that I stayed at where. The fireplace didn't seem to give off any if um, smoke or anything like that. It didn't actually give off any heat either, which was kind of interesting. Was but, it like a hologram? No, it was like a fire, but it was in this sort of like sealed vacuum. Was it a TV chamber of thing, a like double plated glass? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, that, there, was that, a, there was a power button and a remote control. It was so great. That, no, wow. that, that would meet the requirements of essentially being just a giant light bulb. Then, if it's not putting out excessive heat. And yeah, because they, they, purely... they had like double paned air gapped glass around it, so it gave off no heat, huh. and it had like its own flue, so it didn't have any internal smoke. But that's probably pretty complicated for like an office block. To, yeah, like, put in. Okay, fine. So fire in the fire ceiling. is not the solution. <laughs> okay, so it, it, then true. If we're gonna go back to like this was inspired by your video, Nick, of uh, the cool um, snowflake that you did for Nuit Blanche, I believe. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> those, so those were LEDs. Those were LEDs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My mind is being drawn to tungsten. I want to figure out how to like how you actually turn that into some a tungsten light. from somewhere and and uh, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like tungsten. So okay, we got. Uh, I assume it comes out of the ground as most metals do. Mm-hmm. But does <laughs> that mean we're going to be doing some smelting or? I guess so. I is it? I don't know anything about tungsten. I feel like I've fallen very short here. I don't either. I don't know anything. Um, in general. Okay, so theoretically, we're going to get it out of some sort of ore. My guess is it's probably in some sort of like oxidate or something. We're going to need to mm-hmm. process it. But so yeah, smelting. You need we need a hot fire. Okay. And then some ore. So some rocks that have tungsten in them. We can melt the tungsten out of. And I think, if I recall correctly, part of the reason why tungsten works for light bulbs is because it's got a really high melting point. So we need a really good smelter. For someone who doesn't know anything about tungsten, you know a lot I about know. tungsten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's an, it's a word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's, let's assume we can get some tungsten and you gotta draw it into a wire. Okay. And then make it into a little curly filament. And yeah. all of this seems doable. Like when I think of engineering, uh, an LED light bulb and doing something comparable for to create an LED. Yeah. 
I, well, yeah, because if, if assuming that we can't just be like, I go on DigiKey and buy some LEDs, and then I make them into a <laughs> light bulb. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I know theoretically how an LED is made, but I would have absolutely no idea how you go about like doping semiconductors to make. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, it's the same with regular <laughs> light bulbs. I mean, you it, then you have to blow your own glass bulb, and then but again, at least I, I I think I theoretically understand how you could blow a glass bulb. Yeah. Like you just you have to melt some mm-hmm. glass, and then you have to add like a pipe that you put in the middle, yeah. and you blow some air in, and running current through a wire to make it hot and therefore light up is mm-hmm. pretty, you already have a kiln simple. that you use to smelt the whatever. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the glass should be easy. But just go back to your workshop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you need, but you, okay. So the other tough thing is you need an inert gas yeah. to put in the bulb of a cool color. Not none of that like neon or typical stuff. We want something interesting. Isn't, it, isn't neon the one that makes cool colors? Oh, okay. Oh, is, is it like doped somehow? I thought it was the other noble gases that they use for different colors. I don't remember. I, you need a, a different gas for well. You need to. Tungsten? You need you need to put something in there so it doesn't actually just explode. Well, I think that I, that was my understanding, but I I'm drawing a complete blank on what gas it is that you put in. I know. I listened to a podcast on how they do neon lights. Well, no, I mean like because neon neon works. Neon lights look or work completely differently. Because yeah. with that you're creating plasma, right? Yeah. So actually, that that one I I would understand. Assuming you had neon, that's pretty easy because you're just creating really high current. So you just need a really big transformer, and then you just so you're then you can draw. You're basically drawing a plasma arc down a tube to make mm-hmm. neon lights. Okay. But so I mean, like there again, my falling down point is I have no idea where you get neon. Like I have no idea how you go about getting any neon yes. gas you go to the neon, like you were saying with, with dom's episode you go to the neon store and you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ask for some neon yeah i feel like a big shortcoming though that i don't know i can't remember what gas it is it's in like regular incandescent bulbs i don't know i don't know either anyway it's got to be inert because <laughs> it's got to be something that is not has doesn't have oxygen because that's the problem is that like under high temperature the metal oxidizes and breaks down oh, okay oh, um that makes more sense so i mean you should be able to get away with any kind of inert gas or relatively inert gas. You could probably just fill it with like nitrogen or something. Mm-hmm. Is there a more energy efficient way of creating light? Other, like, could you just use pretty much any way other than incandescent light bulbs is more efficient, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Like I've, I always really liked the look of the like solar tubes they put in buildings where it's like a skylight, but light like, pipes. A, like a light pipes. Yeah. Light pipes are really cool. Um, mm. I know they don't work if it's it only like works rain, during the day, yeah. but yeah, or during the day, but it's still neat. Most, most offices for instance, aren't open at night anyway. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, if you could do it, you could do it with like fiber optics and stuff and just put like big fiber optic trunks down the center of buildings. Could bring... you do something with, yeah, like could you do something with like a giant light pipe, like have under the building this like arc reactor and then have light pipes to go to all the rooms and. Well, I mean, you could do it. I'm liking this. This is like, <laughs> this is innovation. So yeah. you're, th- you're, you're thinking like you have like a big plasma arc somewhere in the basement that's high efficiency because it's basically just high energy plasma. Yeah. But you're doing it on mass. So you don't have to, or for a whole office block, like we put one under the cul-de-sac out here, and then all the buildings just use pipes of light. That'd be cool. Through all the room walls, you just have other openings. I don't actually know if it's more efficient, but probably not. Well, I mean, it's a shared resource, which theoretically makes it more efficient. I guess depending on how expensive it is. Yeah, I think the problem the problem always comes down to like how much byproduct heat you yeah. produce, right? But I mean, power plants are expensive and they're, but they're cheap for you and I relatively because it's a shared resource. Yeah. So I, I mean, theoretically, I, I have no idea whether it's more efficient, but it does sound way more awesome. Yeah. Especially if you have like, you, if you're going to put in the middle of the cul-de-sac, you have to have like a big window in the top. So there's just this bright, like sh- light, <laughs> light shining up out of the ground oh all my the time. God. That'd be so cool. People, people would come, people would come from miles around just to see what the giant beam of light coming out of the Charge ground the is. Charge the money and pay for your, your light pipe. Exactly. <laughs> come see our light. <laughs> see the light. Uh, um, okay. We're going to, I'm going to take one, one other direction. Okay. Really cool. <laughs> Uh, just cause it's the coolest sounding type of light. We talked about it with, uh, with Leo is the, like the Cherenkov radiation you get when you have a reactor in water. Oh yeah. Like how it glows. Yeah. The actual, like the re- the, everyone thinks that radioactive things glow, which they don't. The, the glow is, is radiation, the radiation traveling through water and ionizing it. Hmm. I think I know huh. it's called Cherenkov radiation, but I know it's not actually like, it's not the radioactive stuff itself that glows. That's really cool. I didn't hmm. know that. So, I mean, that would be way cooler if you could be like, it would also mean that you're like constantly irradiating and everything, but. So it wouldn't glow in air or it would glow a different color in air? I don't think it glows as, it would glow in air. I think it has, I think it has to do with the fact that it's water, but I'm going to have to read up on that now. I don't know. That'd be, (laughs) that that just seems like it'd be cool because you have have your, you have your nuclear, you have your nuclear plant. 
it's producing your power. And then as a byproduct, it produces light, which you then pipe into your places to produce your, yeah. you produce your light and you use your power for whatever else you need. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then it's a byproduct. Like the radiation isn't doing anything useful. What about biological systems that produce light? Oh. Ooh, like algae and stuff? Yeah. Those crazy algae, jellyfish. Like fireflies yeah. and jellyfish and plants. You want to enslave nature? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, okay. No, I it. don't know. If there's, you could grow like <laughs> some sort of plant everywhere. Phosphorescent. No, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. It gives oxygen back to the, to the people who yeah. live there. Yeah. But then also light. It would also, it, that has the advantage too that it gives you something. You could use the light pipe idea where you pipe in light from outside to shine into where you've got this like algae so it grows during the day and it also lights up your room. And then when the sun goes away, the algae glows, which continues to light the room. Mm-hmm. So you could bring like the best of both worlds. Doesn't that algae normally grow in places that are dark anyway like do you have to give light to it um i don't or are know you're just saying during the day you have light pipes and at night you have algae well i mean i think the phosphorescent algae the ones i'm thinking of are just like they live on the surface of the ocean and then mm-hmm. once they get stirred up they make light yeah and the surface of the ocean is not bright well no but during the day it is that's what that's <laughs> where it? they get their energy from depending on the yeah the depth of the I don't know. Yeah, we I don't, don't actually, I'm sure there's somebody out there who could tell us how to do this like <laughs> properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at the, at the end of the day, we need some phosphorescent algae because that does sound like a pretty cool yeah, way to light your That'd be amazing. It would also, from like what you see, it's like a nice sort of like soothing blue green light that you mm-hmm. get everywhere. Yeah. You just fill your office block with fish tanks and you have like cool little fish and like algae that glows and plants. Could just it like- be in the floor? <laughs> the entire floor is a fish tank. That but seems then, very like super. How do you reuse it to like cool off your, your drinks in the summertime and stuff like that? <laughs> you don't. Oh, okay. You have to have a fridge for that. <laughs> I think that's probably a reasonable shortcoming of the system. Can you go fishing every now and then for lunch? No. In okay. your floor? Yeah. Or it could be like an ice fishing, like a little port. You just unscrew a part of the you floor. You fistulate the floor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. No, I like that. I like the algae. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds pretty cool. And it gives you like that was I was sort of thinking along the lines of like phosphorescence, like having light pipes that charge up a phosphorescent block. But it's way cooler if it's algae. Yeah, it's way cooler if it's not noxious chemicals. Yeah, exactly. And then you can like bioengineer it and grow. You give someone a job again, like the most efficient bioengineering, like bioengineered glowy algae. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. And I think. Part of the original question was about it being in a bulb, right? Yeah. So I think that gives a lot of opportunity for like creative solutions mm. or form factors, different oh, shapes. Yeah. Like, yeah, like really cool. Yeah, having this living system somewhere in your room. Yeah, man, that'd be really neat. Especially if you did something where you could like have tubes of it that float around. You could like bend them in different. Mm-hmm. Actually, and you could do the same thing you do with like neon, where you have like the words made out of it, but it's just like flowing tubes of glowing algae going around. Mm. <laughs> that'd be awesome, man. Now I yeah. want one. <laughs> yes, you got better than, you're right. Better than having the floor would be just, yeah, like, like the same pipes. Yeah. But yeah, you could have like a whole ecosystem in there. And they're just flowing around your building. Yeah. And actually, you can send messages with the fish. <laughs> <laughs> like the pipe systems they have at like, like Home Depot. Or you like have a little, a little tube thing you drop in yeah. and it like travels around. Yeah. Well, I was thinking then you would actually, you probably wouldn't even need the light pipes then in theory because you could just circulate the water full of algae up to the roof and run it underneath like so it's in the sun and mm-hmm. then it like pipe pump it down through the building. This is so neat. And you could actually, you could use it to do passive, uh, passive solar heating in yeah. winter. Yeah. You run the water into the, the toilets and the taps of the building as well. <laughs> so, oh so my God, go, why? So they glow? <laughs> you go to the bathroom and it's glowing. <laughs> no, because no, I'm very that, nervous. That's how they do like the passive water heating. You, you like you you yeah, have but, a yeah. series of filters, so you're not like got fish coming out of the toilet and stuff like that, but like <laughs> or algae. But no, like you do a series of filters, and then you end up with the same water, and it recirculates. And okay, I mean, it, right. it, it can probably to a certain extent be gray water. It doesn't have to be fresh, clean. As long as we take water. the algae out of it before it goes into like the taps, yeah. I think I'd be okay with. That. I don't know anything about algae, but they might purify the water. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know them. No, because then, 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 then you get into really cool, like, um, adjacent technologies. Like, you can do hydroponics. You can do, on, like, on your roof, you could have a hydroponic garden. You could be growing stuff. Yeah. You could do all kinds of cool stuff with that. That mm-hmm. would be, yeah. And you, you have, like, yeah, the, the, like, filter fish that, like, clean up all the gray water and make sure everything is clean. Yeah. And, yeah. You could even do organic digital systems. <laughs> 
pulsing these things on and off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stimulating. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I remember, I remember reading about a, uh, a biological engineering competition where they created a cell that worked as a digital adding, like a half adder. Oh, that's and cool. And you could, you could line them up and you could give it digital signals at one side and it would spit out an answer at the mm-hmm. other end based on. So, I mean, if you can do that with cells, you could do all kinds of neat stuff. You can make it like, respond to RF radiation and do cool patterns and all kinds of neat stuff. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. All right. Cool. So bioengineers out there, we need you to come up with the coolest glowing algae <laughs> and then we'll just pipe it through our buildings. Yeah. Awesome. So I don't know if we were successful in staying close to how you would actually make a light bulb. <laughs> as close as I could be, it could be expected. I like the, the I like, I don't know, if you don't like what we did, contact us and tell us you don't um but that's that's uh, that's, that's our easy cop out because exactly. generally speaking nobody we, exactly we just keep trying stuff and if no one responds we just keep doing what we're doing but <laughs> all right i like the, like the starting with a basic item i like that a lot okay because our best ones have been like starting with simple things like shoes and yeah it's true from there mm-hmm. it's true when we start when we start ridiculously then things get starting with hoverboards didn't work yeah. I don't know. I liked the like robots with a parachute for catching the rocket falling out of the sky. That's true. With like yakety sacks. That was like my favorite idea we've come up with so far. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I've actually heard that mentioned on another podcast. Really? They were talking about catching alternatives for the robo um, boats that, oh, that nice. catch uh, SpaceX rockets. And they actually talked about the guys in the field, firefighters with the thing. <laughs> they didn't mention yakety sacks, but they were close. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that one, that one went off the rails as well after, like, after that idea. That was when we got into, like, the Kraken and stuff. That went yeah, bad. That went... So, okay. No, I think we do, I think this is a good job. I'm happy with that. So. <laughs> mean we be serious now? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean. Well, no. We're gonna, we're gonna be serious insofar as we're going to, like, start talking about art. That's <laughs> a very serious topic. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. Yeah, that's true. So there are people who take it very, very seriously and people yeah. who take it with, uh, you, you seem like the kind of person who has a lot of fun with art. I try to, you yeah. know, I make things that amuse me, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the best stuff comes from. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I want, yeah. I want this to be a thing. I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, you know, it's a somewhat an expression of self. It mm-hmm. sounds very artsy, but it's true. <laughs> it, yeah, it's actually true, you know. Yeah. So it depends on your personality, your personality mm-hmm. type. Yeah. No, I think that, and I think that can be applied to that can be applied to a lot of like inventing, engineering from the point of view of like inventors and creating new things is a lot. In a lot of cases, it is an expression of something that you want to see. You want to make a thing. You want mm-hmm. to make something be. And whether it's a uh, art or whether it's an invention or something, it's mm-hmm. it's it can be all, a very similar drive. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, so why don't you let's let's start. Let's, let's start at the beginning. How, how, like, how did you get, you started out in, in more like traditional art? So actually, I started out in political science. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I was studying back in the early nineties in mm. Montreal. And after a couple of years of that, I just decided this wasn't for me. So I went traveling and did a few other things. And when I came back, it's the mid nineties and I'm like, what, do, what do I want to do? You know, what am I interested <laughs> in? And, you know, my favorite things going on at that point in time were like technology related. Mm-hmm. So Wired Magazine was not that old. The internet itself wasn't that old. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the World Wide Web, I should say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Back when people referred to it as the World yes. Wide Web. <laughs> yeah. Internet superhighway. The, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, what else? VR. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like there's yeah. this cool promise of VR and what it could do. Yeah. It was in, Which, it was very big in popular culture at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so these things were like super exciting and, uh, tangible as in I felt like I could do them, mm-hmm. participate in that. But I didn't want to get into it from the purely technical side. Mm-hmm. I wanted, okay, really what I wanted to be was like a VR director. You okay. know, like a, okay. a director of oh, VR cool. experiences. Yeah. Okay. But I was kind of jumping the gun, you know. <laughs> <It's a little laughs> that sounds like something that you could definitely still do. Well, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. yeah that's certainly for sure. a lot closer now than it we would It just took 20 years. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, off I went to the only pro- program I could find, which was approaching technology from the creative side, which uh, was new media at Ryerson University. Okay. Mm-hmm. I studied there for a few years, four years, and about, you know, halfway through my time, there was, I realized, oh, you know what? VR really isn't, doesn't carry the promise mm. 
fulfill on its promise at this point in time. It's mm-hmm. instead of being like this amazing, these amazing virtual worlds, uh, that actually felt like you were inhabiting them. It was more about this huge, wearing this huge hockey helmet, (laughs) (laughs) CRTs, literally CRTs glued to your eyes. I I remember going to, uh, the science center and in Toronto had a, uh, had a presentation when they first, like one of the first VR experiences and you were up on a platform, but yeah, you had this giant helmet Mm -hmm. on and you, and you could turn your head, but then in order to move yourself in space you had it was just like a like a joystick with your thumb and it was very mm-hmm. it took you out mm-hmm. of the space a lot yeah, when yeah. was uh virtual boy oh uh i feel like that was around like maybe the, 90 like 96 the or mid something. 90s yeah yeah and that, I don't that know one, what that is it, it was, was it was like a a, a nintendo virtual uh-huh. gaming system well it was it was 3d it was two but it was like it was monochrome and it made people really nauseous and it was it was a, it was wireframe <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was yeah. not a very, it was not a very successful product. No, yeah. it was definitely cashing in on it that. It was way that ahead concept. of its time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was cashing in on that concept of like VR as yeah. the, the new, the new way of media, but it was way, way ahead of its time. I think uh, those things are really cool now. Yeah. Like oh, those yeah. retro VR things are, are yeah. really awesome. At, at one point when I, I went on after school to work at the Banff Center for the Arts, they were one of like the early labs in Canada that was giving people a chance to explore VR technology. And they had a whole like laboratory set up with uh, an old flock of birds machines, which is, you know, like a three sensor system to find your location in space. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they had the helmets and everything. Mm-hmm. And when I got there in 2001, they were scrapping this stuff because it's, you know, no, it was no longer relevant. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I was like, can I have this? <laughs> so they gave me one of the old VR helmets and, oh my and gosh. uh, I actually handed it over to somebody else who, uh, was managing the museum there at the Banff Center for the Arts, which is exactly where I think these things belong now. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah, sure. I th- yeah. They will be really important pieces of technology as we mm-hmm. move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we will oh, yeah. see yeah, the stepping stones that lead to the kinds of virtual environments that we're actually going to inhabit in the near future. Well, mm-hmm. and we're currently inhabiting whether mm-hmm. they... But you could still see the potential back then. Like I, I remember listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about how there are stories told about the first like very, very early prototype Oculus devices and they were just like duct taped together and there were mm-hmm. wires hanging off them. But you could immediately see like this is huge. Like this is going to be yeah. a, a fundamental change in how technology is digested. Yeah. Or like your early, even early tablets, like it yeah. would fundamentally change the way people interacted with with digital information. So yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's neat to see the, the progenitors of the kinds of technologies Absolutely. that we mm-hmm. may take for granted in, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, like I'm going to go back to the school period mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, so VR isn't exactly what I thought it would be. So I was getting more interested in art mm-hmm. uh, because that's what my professors were talking about. And so we were studying. So I'd go around to various galleries and whatnot, and uh, they, my professors, were encouraging me to go to one called Interaccess in Toronto. And so, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. So I walk <laughs> into it, and there's a whole bunch of filing cabinets set up as the exhibition. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> uh, and someone working there in the back is like, open it up. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I grab one and I open it up, and all of the other filing cabinets slam open their drawers open uh some of them you know pop open and then so i'm like okay so i i open up another uh filing cabinet drawer and then the others all start clanging around and then before long they all just start automatically moving on their own coming to life so it's like robotic filing cabinets (laughs) i'm like what world have i just entered (laughs) um so there's something so spectacular about that I, i very visceral about having it like jump out at you. Yeah. It was almost the inversion of inverse of, uh, virtual reality, like mm. this amazing creative experience, like this world that somebody constructed, but it's actually here. It's inhabiting yeah. the same yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. And really, you know, like that's what I wanted to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was why, because all the VR stuff again was like, it was, far off. It was at a distance, you know, there wasn't much of the technology around to work with, but here was this gallery five minutes from where I lived, where I could go and I could 
take workshops and learn how to do this very thing that, yeah. I, that mm-hmm. I'm seeing. So that's what I did. I started taking workshops there, learning how to program, learning how to work with electronics, started making a few projects here and there. Yeah, it was really cool. All right, that's cool. awesome. It's interesting because uh, th- that sort of experience of seeing something like that come to life, it, it I immediately started thinking about what the creator of that installation would have wanted you to experience. Like what's the, the outcome that they want you to mm-hmm. have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know anything about art, but I, my assumption is that it has to do with either like an, an emotional state or a message or some kind of feeling mm-hmm. that you want the person to have or, or thought process you want them to follow and it's interesting because to me that is the same with technology in and of itself like a lot of times the technology you want people to feel a certain way or to experience something a certain way or have a certain thought about something whether it's the way that information is presented on facebook or things like that like mm-hmm. it's always to do with like making you feel good or making you feel excited or making you see something interesting and yeah it's it's kind of neat that it's it, there's the you're coming at the same from two different directions or from the same direction with the same tools at the same problem of how do you have people have different experiences and different, uh, like yeah. emotions. I mean, like, well, if we take that one as an example, uh, that was created by an artist named Ishvan Cantor. Uh, he's like an old punk rock kind of guy. <laughs> um, and you can feel it in what he's created, right? Like this machine makes massive noise. The kind of irony of having a, filing cabinet be that that system that's fighting mm-hmm. repression in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in itself and like he, it he did so a mundane. whole body of work around filing cabinets yeah he turned filing cabinets into like rodeo bowls <laughs> <laughs> like just crazy that's stuff awesome. yeah it makes you laugh but it's yeah. amazing to see it's yeah. like, oh, it's yeah. wild well, yeah yeah it, again it comes back to that expression this feeling or sentiments that that are within him um and then it's about like just spending the time working to and having the 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 gumption in a way like the the wackiness to like realize that idea mm-hmm. yeah right yeah, yeah. And that's and it's, it's interesting because like that seems like something now you could see like it's it's a pretty straightforward you have sensors and actuators like making that work doesn't seem terribly complicated after the fact but when you're stopping to think okay i'm gonna figure out how i'm gonna actuate a whole bunch of filing cabinets in a row to make this like thing yeah. a reality. It's, it's pretty amazing to just mm-hmm. stop and think this is the problem I'm going to solve. <laughs> and actually that's, that's a interesting thing. So, you know, within this group of people in this gallery, none of them are, are maybe few of them are, are trained engineers, right? So a lot of it is about figuring it out just through trial and error, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It's not like we're doing formulas and like calculating it. <laughs> you, you try it yeah. and then you're, you're, opening a these filing cabinet drawers with pneumatics right mm-hmm. and so you don't know what's gonna happen how many of these things are gonna go flailing yeah, fly across the room <laughs> yeah. so i wasn't there for a while for that build but it can be pretty hectic you know oh, this, yeah. this is reminding me of um, that video that i linked you guys to the winter gatan guy with his uh with his hand cranked music machine yeah yeah, yeah. Have, you, yeah. have you watched the how yeah. oh i've seen it's that fantastic. it's beautiful yeah. and have you watched the like how it's made video he did of it no because it's it's interesting because he's talking about he has he doesn't have any technical background so a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. he's like he developed the system for like removing one ball from the lit from the line mm-hmm. like loading it and then dropping it at a key at a key time and uh and he went through like a bunch of iterations of it and the, mm-hmm. like the what he ended up building was incredibly complex and really beautiful mm-hmm. but he like he just it was all trial and error that he came to yeah. and uh and it's a really really amazing process that he went through it's just like it's all tuned with like wood screws and stuff because that's what he was working with yeah 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 so you take you know you take the problems just like regular engineering i mm. assume yeah uh you take every problem step by step and yeah one mm-hmm. one small issue at a time mm-hmm. and of build course, it yeah. out but the thing is is that with these technological art projects you get people who have these you know kind of nutty ideas yeah and then that's what they decide to like, okay, well, let's drop that one marble. Yeah. All right. Now, how do I manage 50 marbles? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And then keep on going from there. And mm-hmm. then before you know it, it's like three years of your life have gone by <laughs> yeah. on marbles, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think he was saying like he, he's that, that project in particular, he found out 
or found a program for creating stencils for making big wooden gears. And he was like, well, now I got to build something out of giant wooden gears. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's into what he giant, arrived at. And yeah. he arrived at a machine that plays music. And it was, it's just, an, it, and I think that's what people end up appreciating about, you know, these projects is the idiosyncrasy of like, Oh wow. I can't believe somebody did that yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing because it actually is amazing, you know, yeah. Yeah. In, of its own right. So, well, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It ties back to your, what you were saying about, about VR, that in a lot of ways, it's taking something that you didn't really imagine could be in this world mm-hmm. and that would, you, would, you would, it would make sense to appear in some sort of crazy virtual environment, but to take it and make it into a thing that actually works in the real world with real physics and right. real, it makes it a whole different, uh, a whole different experience to be in that room with it because when it's like when it's virtual, you can do some really cool stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact as seeing something physically move around and, mm-hmm. and yeah. do some amazing, like the amazing stuff you can do with it. I'm not sure. I mean, like those, Having looked through some modern VR systems, I mean, they're amazing, (laughs) you know, and they give you a a different experience, something that you can't have in this physical reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was saying it's a a completely different – well, not completely different, but it's – yeah, it's in a different realm. I guess what Mm -hmm. I'm saying is it's a different experience with this sort of thing when you create something that is really functional because Mm – partially because you look at it and you're like, no, that seems like something should be in like Dr. Seuss and then you see it move and it actually like does what what it's supposed Mm -hmm. to do and that – that has a whole different impact, which is yeah, really yeah, amazing. Yeah. The interesting thing too is to me, because I was thinking about you saying that uh, engineers might approach the problem in a certain way or have a different methodology, which I'll, I want to talk about as well because I, I don't think it's the case. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the the main interesting part of how art can inform engineering is really the same way that I view personally photography. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of respect for professional photographers because it's to me, it's just being able to see where interesting photos are and without that knowledge and background and experience i can't i I don't see the photos and they see the photos and i think it's the same sort of thing as like looking at technology and seeing how it can be used in artistic ways and i i don't know if myself probably can see that like you don't you look at technology like oh it's a it's a servo it's a pneumatic system it's a filing cabinet Mm -hmm. it's a vr headset but you don't see the potential to make it into something really engaging and really interesting yeah yeah i think that there is a certain space where you are discovering a piece of technology, but you're still ignorant as to all of the limitations and all of the things that it's best suited for. Mm -hmm. And so then you go into all of these edge cases, you give them as much attention as you would the like. Yeah. Yeah. The classic application. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There there is something to be said for like one of the things that comes with having an engineering education is understanding what things are for from a technical point of view. Mm-hmm. I could see that as being a, sh- a limitation yeah. from the point, from a creative point of view, not knowing what you're supposed to do with something does yeah. allow you to be really creative about what you do. It's like you were saying something. with Gord's episode, like we, we get told how to make tools and how to use tools and we have a toolkit of skills and applications when we leave engineering school and somebody like we were talking with Gord who is doing it himself he doesn't have those tools but he has some tools and so he can repurpose them in new and exciting ways so it's like I don't have a I have to turn a bolt I don't have a wrench but I have a screwdriver I could probably turn my screwdriver into a wrench <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I can turn the bolt and like it's yeah it's, yeah. it's seen those interesting ways of tweaking what we do and the skills we have and the technologies we use to do different things yeah. And there's also, there's something to be said for not having the focus necessarily on coming up with the best way to do something and just mm-hmm. coming up with a way to do it and then doing something creative with applying that. The traditional engineering standpoint, a lot of time you're focusing on getting the best solution, finding the best tool for, for a particular yeah. Sol- problem yeah. when that's not necessarily the goal in, from an artistic pursuit. You're not necessarily looking to find the best way to make this particular piece of art. You're just like, you want to express something. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, you do want it to be as well executed as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite often. Yeah. Uh, there are cases when no, you know, you're looking to make something that is kind of trashy <laughs> because that's part of, you know, yeah. what yeah. you're doing because it helps the piece, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm limiting what I'm talking about to like tech based art. Yeah. So, you know, if you're making a robot like these pneumatic uh, filing cabinets, I'm sure they went through a whole iteration where they tried motors and whatnot and mm-hmm. they just didn't move fast enough. Yeah. So they reworked the system mm-hmm. until it does what they actually I picture think, in their mind. Yeah. yeah. I think to a certain, like I was thinking about that too. Like it's, you need it to do exactly what it needs to do in order to 
function properly and you have different functional outcomes like you want it to look like a filing cabinet it has to be a filing cabinet you can't have wires popping up the top or weird doors coming off mm-hmm. the side like it has to look like a regular filing cabinet and work that way and be seamless and smooth and functional and give that impression that you want it to give but i think like part of what simon is talking about is sort of like you don't necessarily care about energy efficiency or regulatory or <laughs> like the like how much necess- like an obviously budget as well but you don't have to make 70 of them or 100 mm-hmm. of them we're not, so we're not productionizing the robotic file yeah cabinet. so it's that sort of stuff that you can ignore and just have it work exactly the way you want it to work right yes yeah. true Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not even just a question of you couldn't make the most efficient robotic filing cabinet. It's just that 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 is so ingrained in the in the traditional engineering mindset that a lot of right. times you look at someone and it's like you want to make a robotic filing cabinet. Eh, you could, you could, <laughs> I could come up with something better you could make, and then you sort of you get away from what you originally want to do, right? Because you're like, well, what if it was like a robotic Rolodex? And it's like, like, like that'd be way more efficient. No, anyway. Yeah. Ironically, which I've heard a few uh, few people have done in over the past couple of years, and it just like flips around wildly at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like uh, paper animations, yeah, you know, flipbooks. Oh, that's really that'd be cool. cool. I okay. want to see that now. <laughs> all right. So, what have you been doing? You went to this gallery and learned all these tools. Yeah. So and... after that, I uh, started making my own projects. Mm-hmm. The first one was like this. It's quasi-religious, so that's why I'm hesitant to get into it. But it's like it was a chalice of wine that I used as a resistor in a circuit. So the, as it like decomposed over time, it caused an attached computer to utter the like normal blessing over. Yeah. Oh, okay. say. So it's called transub- transubstantiator. <laughs> so it was like this automatic blessing machine. <laughs> Anyways, it was a, I don't know, like, I, I, I still like the completeness of that idea. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it's not really my area of interest. <laughs> it was also my first complete project, um, using mm-hmm. a microcontroller mm-hmm. and doing some programming. So that was very exciting for me. And then as I'm prone to do, I, I, I just jumped the gun right away and came up with, something that was way over my building capacity, mm. uh, which was <laughs> a, um, like this kind of touch telephone. So these pair of robotic blankets that you would, um, lie underneath one and then it would cause the other one to actuate oh, matching okay, the patterns yeah. of the first one. I think oh, I saw cool. this on your site. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, that was the original idea. So I applied to some funding agencies to say, Hey, can I have some money to work on this? Which they agreed to. <laughs> um, yeah. They're like, okay, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started that and, uh, there, <laughs> it was such a, like, I mean, that occupied a good, three years of my life, like working on oh, wow. this wow. system. How to actuate a blanket from another blanket. Yeah. And it ended up not even being that. So okay. as I, as I started building out the system, I built what is essentially like an XY square grid, which was a, a motorized skeleton. Mm-hmm. So you'd have like, not at each intersection, but halfway through each segment, there would be mm-hmm. a servo motor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would allow this blanket to, move either like undulating waves either forward or horizontally or you could you know run both ways at once and then mm-hmm. it would move like mm-hmm. in all sorts of weird patterns and uh that was as soon as i saw this thing come to life just because i was working on the first one uh i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it was so lifelike that i like i threw out the whole idea of making a telephone yeah mm-hmm. yeah system and just focused on making a robotic blanket. Um, it seemed much more like this is going to sound really arty, but what, what the system actually wanted to be, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. what the project wanted to be, because you have this blanket, which is kind of a symbol of comfort. And it's also pretty passive. Like you have some, lay like a blanket. Exactly. Or a yeah. blanket or and something. benign. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, it comes to life. Mm. And so that seemed like where, what this mm. thing should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's asleep and it wakes up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Which I think actually ends up being part of what is different about 
art than engineering. I don't know if this is actually all that different, but it's those realizations, those moments where you're like, yeah. okay, um, you're not so much trying to make a statement, right? Mm. With this project, but rather you're exploring something and then it gives rise to certain ideas. So from this like living blanket, this robotic blanket, start thinking about blankets as comfort systems. And, mm-hmm. and again, this idea of like the promise of a technology, like, you know, when you're a, a child, like a, a toddler, blankets are what are called like surrogate objects, right? Mm-hmm. So you transfer, you anthropomorphize them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now that we have this technology, let's, yeah. let's actually see that come to life. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me. And so that's what I endeavored to build. I got to show it yeah. a number of times. It was interesting because all I'd need to do is mention the word combination, robot, robotic blanket. <laughs> and it'd be enough to pique people's interest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which opened doors, which was nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like one of those things where you like, you're, you're in the invention mode and you're just like, Hey, I need like, I need two words. You got a robotic blanket. All right. We're going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, it's one, of, it's one of those things like as soon as you hear it's like, okay, I got to hear how this turns into like, I want to see what <laughs> yeah. this turns into. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what's showing it like? Cause I feel like it's something that you work so long and hard on and you have such a sort of innate idea of what it does and what it, what it is. And mm-hmm. then you show it to people. Do you get a feel for their impressions of it or what, how they are reacting to it? Cause it's sort of the same with engineering to a certain extent as well, where mm-hmm. we work on a project for a long time and then people get it and use it and it's, mm-hmm. it's different. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that is a big part of these projects. So, you know, I, I showed in public and okay, let's uh, set the scene. I would propose these to festivals or whatnot and then they would decide where they want to show it. And for some reason, they'd like to show these in very public settings. Uh, so it was shown in a mall. It was shown in a library. It mm. was shown in a train station. Mm. Oh, wow. So you're getting people who are just walking by yeah. with no expectations at all, mm. which is actually perfect. And I, I love that kind of situation. Yeah. Because I have nothing that I want them to ha- take from this experience, right? Yeah. I just want to see what happens. So they walk by and I'd say a good... 25% of them are like, oh, it's a massage machine, you know? <laughs> and they're like, can I lie on it? Can I do this? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's see what happens. So lie down and, and uh, they lie down on top of it and the whole thing breaks. <laughs> because again, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> it seems so, like it would be a pretty fragile system once you're all said and done. Yeah. Oh my God. Like there are so many nights after the, fe- the festival day would close mm. when I'd have to pull this thing back to my hotel room and like yeah. repair, re- redo the whole thing. practically. <laughs> But it's worth it. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Then there's a lot of people who they they just stand back slightly with their mouth ajar, you know. <laughs> what is this? You know, yeah. like this is a nice thing. I think uh, it's a nice place to put people because uh, it. What's the word? It unhinges them. Mm-hmm. Takes them out of their element. Takes them out exactly. of their, like, their yeah. normal day to day. You're they, not in the mall anymore. They have to suddenly reconcile this thing. <laughs> Like, what is this thing? Yeah. Why is it here? And then, you know, some people, it makes them angry. <laughs> it's actually a small portion. You know, they're like, wow, Why damn, damn the world <laughs> you know, for this. <laughs> I think you're getting like what we were describing. There is some like taking them out of their element. That's what sort of what I was getting at with the taking something that seems like it should only exist in a virtual environment yeah, or something yeah. and bringing it into the real world. It takes you a moment to be like, Hey, no, that's actually a thing that yeah. works. That's a thing that can happen in the real world. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it gives you a little moment of like actual awe where you're like, huh. Yeah. I it, would not have expected that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, a nice experience. Mm-hmm. Actually, along those lines of bringing things out of uh, like a VR environment and having it in real life, um, I'm interested in how you view puppetry because that to me is like a really good blend of what I would ostensibly call art and mm-hmm. technology coming together. Like I'm not talking like Jim Henson style, the big sort of animatronic puppets that people create where they're like have blinking eyes and moving mouths and stuff, but it's all sculpted and molded and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I got really into watching TV shows of the people making that kind of stuff for a long time. And it was fascinating. Well, to be honest, it, it, I can't say it's my thing. Like, yeah. I don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. I am of like the Sesame street heyday childhood. <laughs> okay. Um, so those things have a deep impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me, a big factor of uh, these robots were that they're supposed to be autonomous. Yeah. You know, and that it's something that you put out there and it's a, its own system doing mm-hmm. what it, it wants to. That's interesting. Well, so the, the, the blanket, what was driving the servos? Like what's controlling it? Cause you're mm-hmm. talking about having it like undulate and move across the floor. And that struck, strikes me as the kind of thing that someone would do like a master's thesis on how to like optimize blanket, <laughs> blanket gate across the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could totally see that being somebody's thesis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is for me, it's like, Good enough. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you work that pattern. Uh, so, so basically what the way it actually worked were these servos, like conventional, like hobby uh, servo style, hobby servos, yeah. uh, quarter scale, which are the larger type, mm-hmm. the high tech kind of style, what, like these guys here, you have on the table. Uh, kind, yeah, kind of style, yeah, yeah, exactly. Except maybe twice the size of that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Higher power than those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those would feed into, uh, a circuit. By this time, I was working with picks, mm-hmm. and so just controlling all those servos from there. At that time, I was programming an assembly, right? Yeah, because so, picks aren't easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> picks are going deep. Yeah, and and at and at that point in time, I don't think there was a free C compiler. No, for yeah, yeah. picks, that's right. like MP Lab writing an assembly kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't want to do too much like heavy lifting there. So I'd, I'd bring that over into, uh, I'd use a serial connection to some computer mm. that was running software written in something called Max MSP, which is software that is good for working with media. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, originally it was created for sound synthesis and MIDI, but then people extended it to work with video and whatnot. Mm. And so that's just what I happened to learn first. Mm-hmm. And so I'd program in that. It's also one of these like graphic visual programming uh okay. languages, oh, okay. yeah. languages kind of like lab view or yeah. something yeah yeah so that's what i programmed it in cool, and cool. i only got it as far as again the theme of this of my talk here is like this notion of promise mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost unfulfilled promises so so i i always wanted it to be this autonomous system but never was mm. um i would kind of randomly not kind of <laughs> actually randomly <laughs> trigger these patterns to, you know, move, uh, at various times. And when I displayed it, it would be on top of a bed, mm. like in the mall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you'd have to watch out that. So it would just be randomly moving at times and you'd have to watch out that it didn't fall off. The it side didn't want to work its way off yeah. in one direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just picturing like you're feeding it sine waves and have, having it actually like walk exactly. itself across yeah. the floor with, with intention. That would be kind of cool yeah. too. So yeah, I just wanted to get back to the, how people reacted to this yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, you had those people who were like very surprised at, at this device and then they start engaging you, not everyone, but you know, another subsection mm-hmm. starts engaging, uh, you talking to you about it, telling you what they think. An orgy of gerbils. <laughs> that's, that was, <laughs> that's the one comment that still is, leaves a deep impression on, on my mind. <laughs> I, I, I love your, your attempt, your attempt to get a sequitur, like to lead into that. And then yeah. just like, no, 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 we'll, we'll just no. go straight into yeah. it. That was, that's fantastic. So, that's awesome. So that's purely uh, linguistically, that's an awesome phrase. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyways, and then because I, I don't mind people who under, who I talked to, they'd understand that it's, you know, it's an art object, but they'd want to try it out anyways. So they lay down on the bed. We, uh, at, at its best, it could actually crawl up on <laughs> top of somebody. Oh, that's uh, super cool. Cause oh, we can also remote, remote control this thing. Neat. Uh, so at its best, it could crawl up on somebody and so that it would start to do that. And oh, I, I, I love that. I love that memory <laughs> because for that person, now they've suddenly, they're suddenly lying on a bed in a mall with this robotic blanket <laughs> and they are now part of this, this experience, yeah, this right. piece. Yeah. And so they're not looking at it from afar anymore. They're lying, looking up, looking at other people, look at them, <laughs> you know? And I think that's really a great thing huh. for someone to, yeah. to experience. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that would be a, to, it'd be something to be difficult to engineer in the colloquial sense it, intentionally. Like you really have to make, let that kind of moment exist and, and, uh, mm-hmm. come into being on its own. Trying, trying to create that kind of an experience intentionally would be. You'd force it. Yeah. It would mm-hmm. be yeah. difficult. It'd be difficult to have something that would be as, as 
as impactful an experience as that. Yeah, because not everybody is open to it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have to just let that happen. And, right. and that's why you need these large swaths of people seeing it hmm. so that you can get that small group who, who's willing to go. Yeah, to, re- to really engage mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. So that subsection of people ended up uh, inspiring the subsequent work I did, which was basically to go to take a shortcut is this robotic snake that's on the table here Mm -hmm. because I wanted to focus in on that idea of companionship and make something that was technically adept enough Mm -hmm. at expressing itself could, could, could move in, in, in many ways. Getting back towards autonomy. Like you said, that was sort of your shortcoming with the blanket was the autonomy. Yes. And, uh, so that was my intention with this. So, the way I was thinking about it was, oh, this will be simpler. I'll, instead of making a grid of motors and, and having them, you know, forces competing against each other, I'll just vote make a line. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of derived from, you know, these old Rubik's cube snakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. That's the, the general shape of this thing. Mm. And so the idea was to take that and, and put motor, motorize the insides and this time to, you know, make it a little more elegant and by hiding wires, mm-hmm. making it totally enclosed. Mm-hmm. It looks like a lot of projects that I've seen, again, like at an engineering graduate degree level. Like I've, I have a friend who did reconfigurable robotics as his PhD thesis, and I've seen him look at robots like this. Oh, yeah. That look a lot like that. Yeah. 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 Those awesome. are my favorite work from, from engineers is within that kind of reconfigurable mm-hmm. modular robot uh, field. You know Hod Lipson? I don't know. No? Okay. He's this guy out of uh, Cornell. His stuff is is fantastic. Like he would make these robots that learn their own body shape by okay, yeah. using genetic algorithms mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to try out different motions. Yeah. Um, I wonder – because Paul, who was previously on the show talking mm-hmm. about genetic algorithms, he studied at Cornell for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe really? I, I wonder if that was in a similar – yeah. in maybe, maybe the same place. Yeah. That'd be cool. He was also, he's, he, this guy's a big hero for me, so I don't mind spending a time, some time <laughs> talking about him. Uh, interestingly enough, like more so than many artists, because this is a thing is like, you want to see <laughs> projects that realized on the promise, you know, like yeah. that, that are like, they fulfill what they can be and that's what he's done. Yeah. So it's really exciting. So, and also it gets at that weird sort of lifelike nature of it too, where, a lot of the reconfigurable robotics, like the really hyper dynamic, like degree of freedom ones, like snakes and the underwater, like mm-hmm. sea snake ones and things like that, they look really realistic and really haunting and creepy. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, actually on that note, that is interesting too. Like that was also something that came out of the, the blanket and, and is like implicit mm-hmm. in this one as well is that there's this, this notion of resolution, which is at play equally here as it is with pixels on a, mm-hmm digital image mm-hmm. because the more mechanical nodes you add the more dynamic this thing can be so this is extensible like you can just snap on more and more of those modules and as you do it will look you know more and more lifelike yeah yeah, yeah. interesting simon and i were talking the other day about how if we can geek out for a second <laughs> um on stargate the uh our favorite um enemy was the replicators and it's yeah, the same sort of thing where there's small little modules that did a single function and then you'd see two of them snap together and start doing something together and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh man, mm-hmm. something's going to get real. Something's going to get crazy because mm-hmm. then like you have thousands and millions of them and then they would destroy the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, the, the, the technology imitating life, but in a way that it can, you can imitate the, this, the impression of life. But do it in a way that it can do things that you wouldn't expect or you wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. do with a natural product. Actually, and to mm-hmm. behave in a way you wouldn't expect. In a weird way, um, what we do in our daily life a lot of times is use digital signals, but use them as um, assumed continuous signals. This is really an odd way of place to go, but if you, I'm intrigued. If you sample something fast enough digitally, yeah, you can treat it as if it's continuous. You can treat it as if it's an analog signal, as mm-hmm. if it's something that you you can do mathematically mm-hmm. the same things you would normally do if it was a continuous or an analog signal, right? And it's the same sort of thing where, like, if you have like small little segmented impressions of things, you there you have to treat them differently. But if you get enough of them in a high enough resolution, then you can almost treat it as if it's real. It's appro- approaching approaching life, approaching that a naturally developed system. 
I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I, I, this is this is the the snake. I was reading about this, so it's it's got it has the ability to sense, and, yeah, yeah, and also and also to actuate, so it can it can interact with you. That's right. Um, if you can hold the mic, I'm gonna crack it open. Okay, and Ooh, I'll okay. just show you. Okay, I'm just gonna pop this thing in half here. Okay. okay, so these are 3D printed. They are meant to just snap together. This is like a toy motor mm-hmm. and uh, some 3D printed gears, and then there is a a slip ring. Oh, There's okay. a slip ring. That's yep. what this is mm-hmm. so that these things can communicate power and signals to each other. Cool. Um, and tell each other what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You can see the metal tape in there. Yeah. That's for capacitive oh, okay. sensing. Oh, wow. It's like between the different chunks, the chunks of, uh, tape in there. Yeah. So there's, there's basically them. two swaths of tape. And so that's two pads to, uh, be sensed. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. And that can sense through the plastic. So, so it, senses, it senses when something's nearby or when something's up against the side of the, of the module. When, when a person is. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. So that's good. So then, you know, you can say, all right, well, someone's touching it on this side. Let's turn towards their hand mm-hmm. or move away from it. Mm. You can vary the force that these things turn at so that it can wrap around a hand and arm. You mm. can have it seek out touch mm. or repel against touch. Mm. And I'm not sure how like scientific, <laughs> but I was able to get data, which was approximated pressure from this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the harder you, t- you squeeze, the higher the values. Mm-hmm. And so then you can also attach reactions to that, mm-hmm. you know? So now you've got like light touch, hard touch, all that sort of thing that you can make uh, react react to i'm amazed that you're able to get that with just the capacitive sense like through plastic that's pretty impressive yeah um thank god for arduino (laughs) 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 like you know you use the libraries that exist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and get what you get what you can yeah that's great (laughs) well and that's where a lot lot of these these maker projects they you can go amazing directions because somebody says okay they get to jump off of here's a library that exists and then Mm -hmm. see what see the how far you can go with it See what sort of things you can do with the library that somebody maybe not never even intended when they originally created it. Right, right, yeah. Pete, Pete wants Pete wants to uh, wants a tactile experience. Yeah. <laughs> so as I, I've worked through like maybe three or four versions of this as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it's never been up to my satis- sense of satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the limitations of them. Once I decided, oh, I need to change it in this way or I need to change it in that way, mm-hmm. that could, you know, that can cause this ripple effect that, oh, you got to change this and then this yeah, and then this and yeah. this. I was getting really frustrated with that. So after working with these motors, which uh, I, I don't even remember why I abandoned them at this stage, but <laughs> uh, I went to some of these uh, smart servos, the Dynamixel line by Robotis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know them. They were very cool. So they can do 360 degree sensing, I mean, 360 degree rotation, unlike a lot of hobby servos. Yeah. Which can only you have to do. hack them to get them to do continuous rotation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so for people who are listening, who aren't aware, like a regular servo, you have wires coming in from some sort of controller, mm-hmm. whereas a smart servo has intelligence built in. You can talk to it through a network or remotely. It, it, can it has an itself. API. So you still, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so you can talk to them over a network and yeah. command them what to do. But I still found myself in order to do the sensing inside of each of these modules, I still had to create a circuit. I'd have to do that every time. I'd change the system in some way and then all of a sudden I'd have to create a new circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really frustrating. So I, at that point I was like, all right, well, smart servos already have a processor inside them. That's it. I'm just going to go yeah. for it. I'm going to make my own <laughs> servo. Uh, and so that's, that's, what I've been, <laughs> that's what I've been working on for the last few years yeah wow wow um so, so, so it's basically taking an arduino and marrying it with a servo itself huh. so you've got awesome. the breakout pins for sensing on the back you've got the ability to program them so that they can move you know without a network connection hmm. so it's ma- it's making each individual servo autonomous like you're, you're programming it it reacts to sensors and acts on its own that's right that's oh, cool. i mean that's one way to use it yeah but then it also can be used over a network as well right but it has it has the has the capability to be autonomous, so it can it can network, but it could also function in yeah. and of itself. That's cool. Is it is it a, a specialized uh, like version of the Arduino, or is it something you're actually 
Like you're oh. developing your own hardware and everything? Yeah. Like, I mean, I started with the Arduino schematic and mm-hmm. made up my own version. You can see it's actually pretty small. So those PCBs, ones that you've actually designed and printed and yeah, that's awesome. Oh my god, that's really nice. Um, so how like that? That's one of the, one of the questions we got uh, actually from Gord was <laughs> how, how how does one get into designing PCBs and how does one learn how to like do yeah, that? He's got there now. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's now at that point. So like, how how did you come to the point where this was something you were going to do? Um, well. So what, back when I was working on the blanket, I was doing it. I was starting to create circuits then, and I was mm-hmm. working with MP Lab and programming assembly and, and working with big proto boards, you know. And it was a mess of wire, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like hand soldered wire, um, and those were crazy, but uh, it was kind of fun. But anyway, so then uh, I just I started hearing about Eagle, mm-hmm. Eagle CAD, so yeah. I. I learned how to use that wow. made a few circuits that way but this is the beautiful thing about being in this age i think some of your uh podcast competition <laughs> <laughs> uh you know from the amp hour talk about it as being the golden age of electronics mm-hmm. because it's so easy now to learn and to level up your skills mm-hmm. oh yeah uh so you know you can go on to spark fun or adafruit and buy one of their modules, really understand how it works, mm-hmm. and then actually take the schematic and reproduce it for yourself and, and, and build it, and then start changing it slightly, yeah. ever mm-hmm. so slightly. Especially so. in the in the where we are with open source hardware, where you'd go mm-hmm. and find a, a a module that's supposed to go plug into an Arduino, and then they'll have both the schematic and sometimes even the Eagle file. You can take it and you can mess around with it at the board level mm-hmm. gives you gives you a starting point where you could actually just take a chunk of of, of schematic a, a chunk of circuit and dump it in another place and build around it yeah uh, in a way that you couldn't even a couple of years ago before yeah. that was a thing yeah that's exactly how i learned and, and what i what i continue to do because mm-hmm. it's it's the best way to realize uh projects quickly is to take stuff that's already been yeah, validated absolutely. yeah I, I i just looking at the uh at the the smart servo it seems like something i i, I want to start fiddling with it. <laughs> it's really really exciting oh, yeah it's great. It, it, it's it, awesome. it, it lights up the part of my brain that's all like hey here's some like all the cool things you could do with yeah. that kind of yeah. that kind of control like when i first thought about it I, it was like really very much about these kinds of systems where like modular robots you know mm-hmm. or robots mm-hmm. where it's like i you know that's another area where you're like well where are the damn robots already yeah. <laughs> uh like obviously they exist but i i want to see some walking around i want to see r2d2 d- mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and uh so this was the way i see that being done is you know like people trying stuff out 3d printing things and this is just supposed to take off all the a lot of the lower level Mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. so you can just get to the more interesting behaviors mm-hmm. yeah. and that sort of thing that's yeah. great and 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 bring like even with an arduino the step from our from having an arduino to having an arduino controlling something that's moving like through a motor shield or through uh like servo control that's still a reasonable step whereas mm-hmm. this looks like something you could take it like right out of the box you could create something that has the sensors there it reacts to you press a button and it goes kind of thing mm-hmm. exactly uh, as, as a stepping stone to give someone the confidence to say okay no i can make this do what i want like something close to what i'm imagining mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. then take the next step to say okay what's what do mm-hmm. i need to learn in order to make the the jump from that to what i'm actually imagining yeah, yeah. i think that's the, the as an inspirational tool it seems like a really cool one of the features we worked on when I had some other people who were working on this with me and uh, they had developed an app so that you can basically like dial in the positions of the motors like keyframes and then record that position move to another mm-hmm. even move the, the motors man- manually mm-hmm. to another position hit record and then just play that back like mm-hmm. you would keyframes in an animation Teach pendant. yeah mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's cool. it's a it, it, they do that in industry a lot yeah. with with uh, teach with, pendants. Yeah, when you're doing an industrial task, a lot of times nowadays you'll move the manipulator to where you want it to start. Oh and yeah, then, and yeah. then go like click, and then you'll move it to where you want it to go, and go click, and then open the arm and go click, and then it'll just do that all day long. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it, that that bridge is really an interesting way yeah. into industry. It's uh, but to bring that to to something someone can imagine something outside of a regular like here's a robot arm application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, speaking of industry, I think we have to start wrapping up. 
pretty soon. All right. And that could be a segue <laughs> <laughs> to our sponsor. Could be. Yeah, Se- could, segues could be. are usually more natural if you don't point out that they're segues. But... No, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, so this episode, uh, as per usual, as per recently, is brought to you by Kwanzer. And uh, so this week, what I learned from Kwanzer is when you're developing curriculum for international um, students or international um, audiences. Audiences, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit more soft skills this week than our usual engineering hard skills. Nice. It's really important to think about the context that students have for the topics they're talking about. It can be something as simple as, for instance, environmental impact um, in Canada or in the United States. It has a very different impression and a different meaning than it does in other countries and other societies and cultures. So that's a, a very important thing to think about and. Uh, Something that uh, Kwanzaa thinks about. And uh, thanks for sponsoring our podcast, too. <laughs> nice. Let's wrap it up with a fun fact. Yay, fun facts. It's time for fun fact of the week. Okay, so Pete asked specifically uh, what a... He was asking about straw polls. It was something yeah. to do with like the elections. And you want to know about straw polls. And it was, no, it's like, it's a board game we're playing. Was it? Yeah. Oh, right. It was the end Mysterium. of Mysterium is called a straw poll, yeah. Right. So your theory that it was something to do with like drawing straws and something is kind of on – it's like the whole idea of a straw poll is that it's a an informal poll that tells you generally how a group of people are feeling about a subject. You're, it's, it's not a well-structured – it's not like a, a census or anything. And uh, so the term straw poll comes from if you would, you would take a piece of straw and you'd hold it up and to see which way it bends, to see which way the wind is blowing. Mm-hmm. And so it's the impression of like, I want to know which way the wind is blowing with this group of people about this subject. You do a straw poll. It's something informal, gives you an idea of which way they would likely vote if you were going to do a more, impre- like a more uh, structured vote. Oh, that's cool. Huh, interesting. That's really neat. Yeah. So Nick, thank you so much for coming and talking yeah, to us. It was we've, a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We, we, we've got, we got a little more philosophical on some of this than we, we usually did. do, which is, <laughs> which is fun. It was a nice, nice change of pace. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this, uh, where your smart, where the smart servos go, and the kinds of things that come out of it. Because mm. it's, I, I say my my brain yeah. is alight with uh, with inspirations for things <laughs> awesome. I can do with Thanks. that. What kind of light? <laughs> Bioluminescent for sure. <laughs> um, is there any social spots you want to highlight or mention? Probably the best place is on Hackaday. So if you go to hackaday.io and search Nsted N S T E D. That's where I'm at. Okay. okay. We'll throw some links in. That's, yeah. that's cool. cool. Where people can see all your projects and see yeah. what you've done. And get in touch. Cool. Awesome. All right. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. It's all really, really amazing stuff. Yeah. yeah. This was fun. Yeah. So okay. for, for us, we're at howdoyou.engineer on the web, or you can email feedback at howdoyoueng. Yeah. Howdoyou.engineer. That's it. <laughs> uh, I'm on roll. You can find us in social media at howdoyoueng. Uh, and on Reddit at slash r slash howdoyoueng. And you can listen to us on Geek Life Radio on it's Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Mondays at 7. Mondays at 7. <laughs> 6. No, 6 Central, right? 6 Central. Yes. Yes. That's where it was. Okay. Yeah. Mondays at 7. Yeah. All right. <laughs>